0: Hello folks, this is Andrew here uh, with podcast number two of Learning Church from the Word. Um, We did our study a long while ago, uh, it seems like uh, ages ago when we were studying this together uh, over in uh, Stuart and Helen's house. Now, <clears throat> it's been a long time, I want to apologise for being so long away, with, uh, even from the podcast and so on. Um, I do trust that we'll be getting back at it soon and there's so much wonderful things to learn about uh, the, the, the local church from the Word of God so we trust that you will be blessed as you listen into this podcast um, I'll try to review this study number two and then the next podcast, study number three uh, subsequently now I would say this, that it's good and uh, it would be good if you had the, the study worksheet um, that will be attached to the podcast. Um if you can't download it from a podcast, you can download it from the Dropbox link that I will also share uh on the um WhatsApp group. So thank you again for your interest in the in the word and in the studies that we do together and I trust it may be a refresh refreshment and if you can come along to study number four which will be happening, happening hopefully shortly enough um you'll be more able to uh, engage uh, if you know where we're going study one that we finished before and um, we did the podcast for that Stuart Health League did the podcast for that uh, we looked at uh, which church we should join a uh, kind of challenge where we ask questions Um, before joining a church what kind of uh, local church is it that, that you would expect to uh, want to join or whatever uh, and then we tried to see whether the question we asked were biblical questions um, because it's easy to ask questions but you need to ask the right questions to get the right answers and so we, we looked a bit at that and then then we went into the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and Stuart has given us a helpful podcast and all that we, we briefly looked at the difference between the universal church um, which includes every Christian from the day of Pentecost and and will include every Christian until the rapture of the church when the Lord Jesus comes to take his bride to be with himself. Um so that's the universal church and there's there's no false people in that universal church. It's invisible, it's universal. Um but then there's the local church, which is a visible representation, as it were, in some ways. But it's in a, a given locality. It's the church and the churches, the the universal church, and the local churches, is one of many churches. Now this is locally gathered believers. In this case, the builders are not so much the Lord Jesus Christ placed in at conversion, but it, the builders are the servants of Christ. They've evangelized. People have been believed, have uh, believed, sorry, and have been baptized and are being discipled and they're gathered in a local church now that's um, um, as much as I'm going to say about that and um, if you want to look at that in more details look back into podcast number one uh, that Stuart uh, gave to us um, and you will find the link to the worksheet for that as well so no more on, on one we're on the two just now so what we're going to do is we're going to pray we're going to read first uh, Corinthians 14 uh, together uh, just one verse from that that passage, and then Acts chapter two, a few verses from that passage, and then we'll get stuck into the worksheet study number two. And I've called this the local church and the word of God. So let's pray together, Father. We thank thee for this opportunity of looking again at thy word, at the truth of thy word. Help us to expose uh something of the beauty of the word of God, uh, as we look at it together. Just for a few minutes. Our Father, we would pray that we each might be blessed in our circumstances um, as we listen to this. In the Lord's holy name. Amen. Okay. um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, and we'll read together verse number 36. And I'm using the New King James Version um, at the moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and um, verse number uh, 36. And this is what we read <clears throat> of course i lost my place there um I'm just catching it again the other passage we're going to turn to is acts chapter 2 so you can put your finger in there um first corinthians 14 verse 36 he's just been speaking about women who are speaking in the church uh and i um in a way they shouldn't be they're It says, it's shameful for a woman to speak in the church at the end of 34. Or, did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it to you only that it reached? Now, he's asking it um, in a provocative way. We might say the question has a negative answer. Of course, the word of God did not come originally from the church in Corinth. It was not the source of the word of God. Neither was it the sole recipient. Were they the sole recipients of the word of God? It uh, was it to you only that it reached. In other words, you're moving away from the scriptures, and unless you have a a a a new revelation from the Lord, <laughs> um, and he's saying it almost tongue in cheek. Why are you doing that? Why are you moving from the the Lord's revelation when it comes to this whole subject of a uh, woman uh speaking and so on. So uh that's that's just what we have there and I'm gonna lift a little bit of the principle behind that verse in a few moments. Turn over please to Acts chapter two Acts chapter two and we'll just read a little bit at the end. You'll remember that beautiful um uh, story of of the evangelism of um those who were in um Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost verse number 37 now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do and Peter said to them repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins they had to separate themselves very specifically from the nation it showed the genuineness of their repentance If they were prepared to be baptized to separate themselves from the nation. Obviously the baptism didn't wash away any sins. We know that from other passages. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now given at Pentecost. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. And with so many words he testified and exhorted them saying be saved from this perverse generation. Notice that be separated be be rescued from this generation of unbelief uh, of unbelief in israel then this is at verse 41 then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about three thousand souls were added to them and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers so uh, it's often been taken up that we have, uh, re- received they gradually received his word salvation, they they were baptized and then they were added, um uh, and then they continued steadfastly in doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. That's seven things. Let's keep reading just for a second. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who had believed were together, had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continued daily with one accord in the temple, when breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of, the Lord, uh, of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people And the Lord, added to the church daily those who were being saved. Right, this is um, an interesting passage, which we'll come back to in a few minutes. So study two, if you you lift your, your worksheets, um, or whatever you want to call them, um, you'll see at the top, it says the local church and the word of God. Now, I'm going to ask two questions uh, through this study, um, as I did when we did it in the Home Bible study. And it's this, you'll see it, they're highlighted, they're um, underlined, do we really follow the Word of God in church doctrine and practice? That's question number one. That's a good question for us as an assembly. Do we really follow the Word of God in church doctrine and practice? And then number two, how do we intelligently practice the Word of God with regard to the local church? Now, there are two different questions. One is about the fact, is is, is it something that we're trying to do? Are we... Are we achieving what we aim to do, which is follow the word of God in church doctrine and practice? And the second question is, is there a way in which we do that? Um, do, is there an intelligent way to do that? For instance, there's parts of the Old Testament that clearly aren't relevant to us today in regard to the local church. So how do we intelligently practice the word of God with regard to the local church? Those are the two main questions we're going to ask. And then we're going to apply it to a couple of examples and see what we can, um, we can uh, learn from that. Let's do that together then. So the first question, how do we really follow the Word of God in church doctrine and practice? Now we've read 1 Corinthians 14 and 36. Um, what 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty six is bringing home to us is the fact that the local church or the church more generally um, is not the source of the word of God. God is uh, and God speaking whether it be through the Lord Jesus in the gospels or through his apostles in the acts and, and, and in the, the, the epistles and so on they are the source of the word of God the whole subject of inspiration we've covered it elsewhere if you need if you want studies on that, um, I can give you them. Um, the source of the Word of God is not the the Church. So then, for for the Church, let's take an prime example that's very obvious: the Roman Catholic Church. Um, it was very quick at sending out papal bulls and and different things that they they issued, dictats. They issued, diktats, they issued um, additional commands on top of what the word of God said um, and they did it as though it was just the same as the word of God so they were acting as though they were the source of the word of God rather than being subject to the word of God they were acting like the source and the other um, point that he makes here is not only did did the word of God um, come out from you he says did the word of God come to you only in other words Are you the sole recipients of the Word of God? So so as that local church in Corinth received some part of the Bible that no one else has received, he's saying, in effect. And you can almost hear the irony in Paul's voice. Because, of course, not only is the local church not the source of the Word of God, but they are not, each one is not individually the sole recipients of the Word of God. That means we have to be governed by What the word of God says as coming from the Lord Jesus and from his apostles. I'm just making that very general, but that's important to understand. Now, so if we keep that in that setting and we remember that, and in fact, if you go to the third page, uh, you'll notice a little yellow box at the bottom of the last page. How does the local church relate to the Word of God? That's really what the question of this um, study is. And you'll notice number one, deference. Did the Word of God come originally from you, or was it only you that it reached? We have to realise that we are not the sole uh, recipient of the Word of God, so therefore um, all local churches in all of time the same revelation that they have to implement the revelation that is in the canon of the new testament and the other thing we have to understand is that that no local church has an additional revelation that's on top of what the word of god says now this is really helpful to understand how we view for instance prophecy now the apostles were those who were bringing together the truth of God and and the prophets and um, the new testament prophets now were those who were standing up on the occasion when the word of god was not yet complete and they were giving some part of the word of god which had to be as, uh, assessed by the other prophets who were there we noticed that already in 1st corinthians 14 but as a general body of truth it is the it is the the canon the apostles doctrine that we have to adhere to not just some extra revelation not some extra prophecy that we receive from some extra person who claims to be a prophet or whatever we can come back to that on another study but it's important we get the idea that here is the word of God and here are us as local churches and we have to be following the word of God to be marked by deference to the word of God uh, and so on you can see other things in that yellow box but we'll touch that um later okay so did the word of god come originally from you or was it only you that reached now then what i've got is a little diagrammatic box um picture picture pictorial representation box whatever way you want to do it. but you'll notice the four uh different flow charts and the, the tick beside the one that's the true way that the word of God should travel. So we've got a, a Bible, then we've got a, a a broad arrow that's leading to the local church. So in other words, the local church should be spoken to by the word of God. And that broad arrow then continues to the world. The world should then pass that on to the uh, sorry the church would then pass that on to the world. Now that is the ideal scenario where where there's the communication line as it were of the word of God coming to the local church and then the local church digesting that living it out and witnessing and whatever leads to a witness the witness of the word of God in the locality they're placed in the world Uh, that is around them, as it were. So that's the ideal. That's the way things should be. Now notice then the second flowchart. You can see what's happened there, where the Word of God comes to people, and perhaps they receive it as the Word of God with no additions uh, in their local church, but then there's very little of that passed on to the world around. Now that's a problem. That's a problem because uh, we can get in a kind of... um, in, in a kind of subculture or a, a a group where we put walls around us and we try to follow the word of God, and yet it is not for some reason filtering out into the everyday life of people around us. So that's something we must guard against uh, the word of God not being transmitted as it should be uh, to others. So you remember First Corinthians, we were First well, Thessalonians that we're now in, in the um the Bible reading, uh, where from you sounded out the word of the lord so it should be that there's a passing on of the word of god uh, to those around and so on that's through life and through lip then you'll see the third line which is also a problem um, and what you have is a little diagram which is meant to represent uh traditions um the traditions of the church for instance so the the traditions of the, the particular aspect of 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 that church, the historical traditions. Perhaps they're from a reformed background. Uh maybe from a Baptist background, from a uh, from a Presbyterian background, whatever. And and what happens is that those traditions are then put alongside the Word of God. Now this is another problem. You'll see that the little Bible has shrunk now, it's smaller. Because you have the traditions plus the word of God. And those are then, as it were, contaminating the the um, the um, information that is coming to the local church. And so you'll see the arrow is a different colour. And then therefore, that has an effect on how that local church uh, speaks to the world around, which is not good either. And there's many, many uh, illustrations of this. And we obviously... Ha- can fall into this trap as well. I'm taking each body, each group of believers as a separate entity here as a local church. Uh, we can quibble over whether they're all local assemblies or not. That's not the point at the minute. Um, what I'm trying to bring out is this. It's the fact that you have um, some local groups of Christians, we'll call them that, groups of Christians gathering together and they come and it's not just the word of God that's coming to them. It's the word of God plus the traditions of man, whatever those traditions are. It could be the Baptist 1681 uh, catechism or whatever, whatever. That's not completely. Could be the Westminster Confession of Faith um, as well. That's another one with with our Presbyterian friends. Uh, whatever it is, if that's sitting alongside the Bible, if they kind of quote that alongside the Bible, which they do, if you haven't seen it, you'll look at their publications, you'll find out they do. Um, that is a problem because you don't have just the Word of God. You have the Word of God plus um, the the thoughts and the. the the teachings of another group of men who might well have been true in 95 percent of what they said but your your problem is not the 95 percent the problem is the five percent and how that's whittled down and how it starts to affect our trust and our reliance on the word of god alone so so teachers teach the word and when they teach the word of god you have to go back to the Word and say, are they teaching the truth? So whoever the teacher is, or whatever the tradition is, whether it's a Westminster Confession of Faith, whether it's Darby or Kelly, whether it's um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, whoever it is that teaches the Scriptures, that's fine and that's good if they're good teachers and they're trying to submit to the Word of God. But they always have to be challenged by the word of God itself if we're to keep that a healthy relationship as it flows into the, the local church and how we listen to the local church and then you'll see the fourth line what I've done there is I've put another um, idea in in it so you've got the traditions of the church um, plus the ways of the world if you like or, or being politically correct you'll see the wee symbol political correctness In other words, the pressure of the world itself starts to bear in on what the company is listening to from their teaching. And so the Bible, again, shrinks smaller. And this is a danger as well. So you have the traditions, which is, let's say, for example, just because it's a good example. um, Say you have a, a, a Church of Scotland. Which is Presbyterian in its tradition. And it follows um, the Westminster Confession um, and so on. and um, Presbyterian beliefs. It comes from a reformed tradition. Um, it then has become extremely politically correct because it's afraid of the world around and afraid of it's viewed. And so not only do you have um, this idea of, of, of Presbyterianism causing problems... Because it's not being challenged by the word. It's just being accepted without challenge. Then we have this political correctness which has come in. And again all this does is it shrinks the word of God. And it's the flow of truth as it were to the, the local church or the group of Christians to which it's coming. And then of course that affects um, the, the, the output into the world around. So you can see I'm just giving you an idea of of how these things, how the word of God can be in a wrong relationship to a local church uh, if we're not careful. Now so that's the first point I really wanted to make. Do we really follow the word of God in church doctrine and practice? Now we claim to, don't we? Um if you've heard it once, you've heard it a hundred times. Um ever since I was small and I'm very thankful, very thankful for the background I've come from. Very thankful for the local church I was in. In Northern Ireland. And the local church in Nguyen in Culloden. We have so much to be thankful for. We have a great tradition. Of open Bible. And may the Lord preserve us with it. But may we not be high and mighty about it. Or think that we have nothing else to learn. Because there is always a danger. That other traditions. That political correctness. That whatever else it is. Could come in and take away from the validity and the veracity and the value of the Word of God in our local um, context. So may the Lord preserve us on that. Do we really follow the Word of God in church doctrine and practice? What I would say is, with the help of God, we try to. And may the Lord preserve us in our trying. Moving on to another question, which is really important, because... It's okay, you say you have an open Bible now. Um how do you read that Bible in relation to our twenty uh, first century context? Because there's lots of the Bible, the Old Testament for instance, that doesn't seem to directly relate to us where we are. Now the principles relate, the character of God relates and so so on and so forth, but the actual, you know, finer details of the laws of the Old Testament don't apply to us in our New Testament and in our local church context. So how do we take something that's even said in the New, Te- in the New Testament, words of Christ, uh, words of the apostles, uh, what you find in the Acts, how do we relate those to our local circumstances? Now that's a really important question as well. So the question is, how do we intelligently practice the word of God with regard to the local church? So we'll, we'll make it very clear Acts, we did it the other week Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, particularly Matthew 16 emphasises that the setting up of the church in its larger aspect came from the day of Pentecost and the first local church if you like came from the day of Pentecost as well the local church that was set up by the work of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the teaching of the apostles, and so on. We'll think about that later. So here we have it, with the beginning of the church in the New Testament, so that we can discount the Old Testament as to um, how we run a local church. You understand what I mean when I say you never discount the Old Testament as to moral principles or the character of God, or what we can learn about the Lord Jesus, or any of those things, but as to how we run the, the the New Testament church it is a New Testament church many people then make a comparison between Moses and Paul Paul Moses went up a mountain received the blueprint of the tabernacle came down the mountain was told to see did you do everything according to the pattern uh, that was told you in the mount. and then Paul was up in the third heaven received great revelations of God about the church both universal and local Ephesians and 1 Corinthians just to give you a little bit of background universal church local church and then he communicated it and we are to follow that pattern now this is a good comparison it is a good comparison but it is an incomplete comparison what i mean by that it is a good general comparison but it is not a be all and end all kind of thing the reason why i say that is this moses received direct commands he was under law the, the emphasis of the old testament is following laws now there were principles there Uh, And of course, heart attitudes were important. David brings that out in Psalm 51 and so on. That that sacrifices, for instance, uh, are not of value in themselves. It's the sacrifices that are heart sacrifices that are important. The sacrifices the Old Testament pointed forward to Christ. And only if someone was coming with a right genuine uh, heart attitude... Could they expect any blessing? So the sacrifices of themselves were just pointing forward to what happened at Calvary. But there's a sense in which they were direct commands that they had to follow. The laws were out there. They, they were fitting for the day when the law, or law, was the important thing. It was the thing that it was commanded. Uh, they were commanded to be circumcised. They were commanded to, to keep the law of Moses. And, of course, no one could do it perfectly. Um, and therefore they needed that forgiveness and so on that is implicit in the old testament as well but the emphasis lies on the law and and the thought is that what you have is almost like children with little building blocks the rudiments of the law you know it's it's like god is revealing himself and and how you start to teach children basic things is is you give them Building blocks, and they learn that things balance, they learn that um, all different things from those blocks and the ABCs, as it were. However, Moses, having received direct instructions, it was kind of straightforward what to do. You knew how to build a tabernacle, you were told exactly how to go about it. However, Paul and the New Testament in general, while there are some direct commands, the emphasis lies now on principles, which are to be applied when a local church meets. So we have to be spiritually intelligent about this, of how we interpret and apply them. Now, we're not under the basic building blocks of the law, but under the adult sonship of grace. Now, that's the important distinction we have here. This is Galatians 4. Truth. So we're not being looked upon the Lord having revealed all the things in the Old Testament and having As it were, corralled in the the Old Testament believers into that framework of law. He has not put us under the same framework. We're not kept in a fold. That is the idea of the high walls of a sheep fold. That was until Christ came, John 10. But rather, we're being called out to a flock. The Lord says, many other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And so here we have um, the idea of a centre, the Lord Jesus, being attracted to him, um, attracted to his character, and, and therefore wanting to work that out in our local church circumstance. Rather than all the commands that were in the Old Testament, just do this, don't do this, have have your local church in this way, meet in this kind of building, um, do your breaking of bread exactly this way, all those kind of things, all... Are not relevant because what God has done is He's 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 placed before us the magnet of Christ. He's placed before us the beauty of the Lord Jesus, and He said, "Go after Him." And He's shown principles through the New Testament. There are direct commands as well, uh, from time to time. But the main emphasis is on those principles. This is wonderful because it really fits for the universal application of. The local church. There'll be local churches in Thailand. There'll be local churches in in Iceland. There'll be local churches in, in the Faroe Islands. There'll be local churches in the Falklands. And it doesn't matter. The world over, you can have a local church. Whereas, if it comes to the tabernacle, it has to be in the. <laughs> it has to be in this Sinai Peninsula. You know, it just fits there. I mean, even the way wa- the where they were walking. Um, and the order of the tribes they should have been walking in one direction towards the promised land uh, and so um, really what's happening here is that um, this emphasis on principles allows for Eskimos who couldn't follow laws or commands involved in setting up the tabernacle because they wouldn't have the materials there, they can follow the principles in founding a New Testament assembly church because there are principles that are given to us now that's more complex by by nature it's not too complex but it's more complex you have to think so you're moving from the building blocks where you give a few building blocks and uh, and maybe a, a wee plan to, to kids to ask them to build a tower whatever then you're moving on to someone who is sitting down and he's learned the principles the same the same man who is a, a, as a child is sitting down and just working out how to put one block on top of the other uh, as a child he then can sit down knowing all the principles of architecture uh, in in 20 years time after studying and, and he can design a building and he can set it up because he's following the principles of how to go about that he doesn't, he's only learning the basic building blocks in one but now he has grasped that and that's where revelation has come from and gone to, so we're in the New Testament era we're in the era of adulthood, as it were. And now God expects us to apply the truths of the New Testament with the specific commands, yeah, um, to our local church circumstance. Now, I hope that's not been too complex. But I've put a diagram at the bottom. We have a seed plot in the Gospels. In other words, the Lord says things in the Gospels um, such as this do in remembrance of me. It's emphasised again by, uh, by, by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, I know. But he says it in the Gospels. So the Lord emphasises something in the Gospels. Then we perhaps see a historical pa- practice in the Acts. Where the, the early Christians, uh, having been saved, they start to practice certain things. Under the tutelage of the Apostles. And we look at it and we say, oh, that's interesting. So something that began as a seed plot in the Gospels that then starts to bring forth fruit in the Acts. And then, of course, what we find is that in the, the teachings of the apostles, in the epistles, there's a doctrinal, a teaching, confirmation of that truth. And it's developed in some way. And then that leaves us with a, if you like, a universal principle, a timeless principle of how we should apply it, which then we can take, and with the wisdom and strength and help of God, we can apply it in our local church practice today. Now, see that line, that seed plot in the Gospels, the historical practice in the act, the doctrinal confirmation in the epistles, that helps us to know what way we should act today. In our circumstance now if this breaks down at different points it begs the question as to whether it's something that was just for the first century um, and the specific circumstances or whether it was something that we were meant to continue now so that's something that you keep in mind when you look at how you intelligently practice the word of God with regard to the local church now I realise I'm um, probably going over time here Um if you give me five more minutes, um, I'll complete what I have on my mind. Okay, so you'll notice the third page, the last page, we have examples for discussion. And we had a great discussion about these things. You'll notice I, I mentioned the Lord's Supper and feet washing. I, I want you to think for a second. Imagine you were speaking to someone and, and that someone asked you about the local church that you go to. on. Most of you go to Culloden anyway. Um, and they said, oh, so what makes your church different? And you say, well, we follow the New Testament. And they say to you, right, okay, so I'm a Christian, I'm an interested, and I've been reading my Bible. Um, tell me about your uh, services, your meetings. And you say, well, we have the breaking of bread, and... Says OK, yeah, I've read that in the Acts. Uh, and and then and the person says to you again, OK, but um did the Lord not say about feet washing, do you do feet washing? You you say you follow the Bible as closely as you can why do you not wash one another's feet? So that's a good question, isn't it? I mean if someone's coming genuinely, they're not trying to trip you up, they're not trying to trick you. And this is why it's good to think through questions. Ask yourself, should we be doing that? Are we in some way failing? If we do don't do that. And what you then go do is you say to yourself, you go home, say, I'll think about that. That's a good question. I'll maybe ask somebody that knows. Uh, the Bible better than I do whatever you want to ask them uh, say to them but then you go away and you look at it and you say how am I going to find this out I mean the Lord Jesus said do this you go to John chapter 13 take a read of it uh, in your own time uh, in fact we'll just turn to it um, for a second or two Um, John 13 the Lord says specifically as I have done to you so you should do to others let's see it before as I've given you an example this is the ESV and uh, that you should you'd also do just as I have done to you and so on so the Lord washed the disciples feet and then he said do that so you go away and say should we be doing that as a local church well, there's a lot of things we could take from that passage itself. We, we read the passage, ponder over what it's actually saying. You don't come to it and say, I'm going to have to find some way in which we shouldn't be doing it. You come to it honestly and genuinely, submitting yourself to the Word of God. And then you ask yourself the question, what is the Lord speaking about? Well, he's made it clear that he's not just speaking about feet washing, because he says to Peter, he says there's... Th- what I'm doing now, you don't understand, you will hereafter. So it's got a deeper spiritual significance. And we can work on, it on that angle and say, well, the Lord isn't just speaking about washing people's feet. He's saying we should do something, and we can relate it to 1 Peter chapter 5, when Peter speaks about being girded with humility and serving one another and so on. And we can see the principle of service and girding. Um, and, and so on we can d- develop it into the thought of feet washing as to applying the word of god to the life of pe uh, other believers and, and there's also many beautiful things in the background but just say we didn't know that much about that passage how do we know that we still shouldn't practice it the way we do practice the lord's supper well let's come to the the the, the line that i give you the progress of doctrine line Seed plug, it's in the Gospels, you say there you go. There's a little fruit germinating from the ground. The Lord has said, do as we have done to you. Now then you go into the historical practice of the Acts. Do you find it in the historical practice of the Acts? No, you don't. There is no mention of a local church having a kind of symbolic uh, feet washing session. Um, There is... A ref you you come over the epistles the word feet washing is used of Phoebe I think it is in first, in Romans chapter 16 it says that she washes the disciples feet or and, and, and yeah so on and, and again we're getting that thought of humble service it's an individual she washes the feet of the it's not the thought of a collective assembly thing at all it's the thought of humble services humble service in relation to a particular hospitality that is fitting for the where they were in the west or in the east where they had to get the dust off their feet and it was just showing that it's that character of humble service hospitality of caring of, of nurturing and, and even there's a deeper thought behind it of of um of perhaps applying the word of God and so on so that's what you walk away with and you say well I should be humbly serving in my local church that is the principle that you can take from it you can't take a kind of um a, a symbolic uh, fit washing because it wasn't emphasised in the acts under the apostles in that way. It wasn't a- emphasised in the um the in the epistles again the doctrinal confirmation and development in that way. So that Paul has brought out and 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 each of the apostles of. Um, and the Lord had said it before they that he left the scene that the apostles were going to expand and develop and complete the truth, the canon and so on and, and here they are and here we are and so what the Lord was saying has not been taken away the essence of it remains with us today but we must remember to apply it intelligently to how we deal with the local church today I hope that helps because there's lots of things that could be said about. So we come back to the person, and yes, it's not a one sentence answer you give them, but you can sum that up in some way to them. Now, the, the second example for discussion was Acts 2 42 to 47. And we have to ask ourselves a question here. We're in the historic book of the Acts. What is happening is actually a historical event. Now it is accurately portrayed. I mean, the it is divinely inspired. The the Acts, just the way any other part of the New Testament is. But it is a history. It's telling us what happened in the Acts, in Acts chapter two. So we shouldn't really be taking the the pattern of Acts two, um, and using it as our main foundation for the teaching of the local church. No, they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day were added. And um, they follow steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Now, I've heard that taught on many occasions, that that is the standard, that is the practice. Now, it is the standard as long as you fit in a few caveats around it. There's nothing wrong with teaching on it. I'm not saying you shouldn't teach on it. But then you remember the, that same person that you were speaking to earlier. Uh, ...and they're reading their Bible genuinely... ...and they they have come to the Acts... ...and they have remembered that you say... Well, ...you listen, it's just the Word of God that matters to you... Uh, ...and you say to them, right, okay, yes, that's true... ...we we we follow the Word of God... ...and they say, okay, so do you have all things in common? And you go, well, well, maybe, maybe not... ...well, says here, they, they believe we're together... Are you living in that kind of almost like a commune uh, where you have all things in common? Have you sold your possessions and goods and divided them among all as there's any need? Is that what you've done? Because you're telling me that you should follow the practice that's mentioned the verse before. What about apostles? Do you have any apostles about now that are teaching you? Well, no. What about uh are those apostles? are there many wonders and signs being done by them? Well, no, do you understand the problem for someone who's looking at this passage because what you've done is you've taken this these seven points out of the passage and say, "You follow this, you're fine you're this is the thing you should do but you you can easily start to neglect now there there is a validity to some of the other points as well but but you understand what the problem is. You see, the first thing we have to understand is that when we come to the Acts and, and parts of the Old New Testament, is it is giving a, a descriptive view of a local church. Not necessarily a prescriptive. you understand the difference? A descriptive view is it's, it's describing the early church in Jerusalem. What, what actually happened. A prescriptive view is that is telling us how we should always do church. Now, I'm not saying it isn't useful, that there's not principles that come out of it, but we have to apply again, I believe, the, the, the progressive doctrine thing that I mentioned before. Let's think about that for a minute. Let's let's see what parts we should and shouldn't apply today. Apostles' doctrine. Should we follow the apostles' doctrine? What about the seed plot in the Gospels? Yes, the Lord confirms that the, the the apostles would be the ones that would complete the canon of Scripture. So the early apostles, the ones designated so by the Lord Jesus, um, who, who had seen him in resurrection glory as apostles were identified in the New Testament as such, uh, of which Paul says, I'm the last of the apostles. So he's the last one. That group of apostles of which there are no more, are the ones that we should follow their teaching as given to us in the New Testament epistles. So yes, that's something that we can see in the seed plot in the Gospels. We see in practice in the Acts and we have confirmed in the epistles. We have First Corinthians, for instance, First Corinthians chapter 14, uh, Paul writes and he says, the things that I'm writing unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Well, actually, he says, he uses a singular, he says they are the commandment of the Lord. So he, he groups them all together, and Peter speaks about Paul, who 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 went in his writing as with the other scriptures. So he links the the writings of Paul on the same level as scripture. What about Peter himself? He emphasises divine inspiration. We can we can look across uh, each of the uh, the the epistles, and we can see that emphasis being laid on the. Apostles' not teaching, teaching of the apostles, in its historical contrast it means it meant that the apostles were the ones who stood up and spoke. The apostles' teaching, and that teaching, that body of teaching that comes from them and and has been uh, encoded in the New Testament, is what we now follow. So yes, that's fine. What about the fellowship? Is is fellowship emphasized in the New Testament? Of course, it is. You can take it through, again, the Gospels, the Epistles, and so on. The emphasis on fellowship. What about breaking of bread? Yes, it's emphasised by the Lord. It's emphasised in the uh, Acts of the Apostles. It is emphasised in the Epistles. What about prayers? Of course. It's throughout the Bible, but it's emphasised by the Lord in historical practice in the Acts and in, as confirmed in the Epistles. What about wonders and signs through the Apostles? Well, remembering the historical context did it happen when the Lord was here? He did great wonders and signs. The the, the the apostles did as well as they went out in their their tours in Israel and in the early acts. Historically, that's what happened. So, it's descriptive of what happens. Is it something that was meant to continue through the whole age? Are we meant to have apostles through the whole age? No, it tells us in first in Ephesians um that they are part of the foundation. It tells us Paul himself says, "I'm the last of the apostles." I'm not meant. I'm I'm not meant to be viewed, um, I'm not fit to be viewed uh really or meet as an apostle. So on you can look at the context of 1 Corinthians uh fifteen. So the apostles are no longer with us. They were in the foundation and they left with us the scripture. What about um signs and wonders? Yeah, the thought of signs and wonders. Well, was that something that was marked in the early church? Is it something that continues? Well, interestingly, as you move through. The, the, the doctrinal epistles you find the emphasis on signs and wonders decreasing and decreasing and the emphasis being that they were linked to the, the initiation of a new age and so you come to the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century um, <clears throat> subsequent uh, as well as the later epistles <coughs> and there's no emphasis at all on these things that doesn't mean God can't use some miraculous things and do some miraculous things of course he can, he always can and we are not saying that, but what we're saying is that's not the emphasis of the New Testament church today. Had all things in common. Well, the principle of sharing is de- developed in Second Corinthians chapter eight and nine. You go and see how Paul develops this in a beautiful way as to where those who have lack should have be met by the, the 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 need of other Christians and so on. It's not, but in the historical context, what happened in Jerusalem, descriptively, was that they did what they did daily in the temple are we meant to be daily in the, the temple no we're not because we're not in that historical context and so on so so anyway you're getting the gist of of how i'm I, i'm showing that the progress of doctrine is really important to help us to understand there are other passages in acts you can um, go and look at the local church in the acts and, and and look at different things in the acts we had an interesting discussion on tongues and so on in our study um, I'm going to leave it there I've, I've gone over the time as usual uh, and I trust it will be a blessing to everyone who has time to look into the local church and the word of God <clears throat>